Good evening. I am Pete Stearns, and I am our middle school director here. And I'm just so thankful to have the chance to be kicking off our CCOB Summer Lights series. Um, earlier this week, our phenomenal worship director, Tracy Bianchi, came to a bunch of people on our worship team and said, I want to start an initiative to start showing our community how God's light is shining through them. And she said, I want all of you to go and take a picture of something that brings you light and post it on Instagram with the hashtag CCOBSL. Okay, and so I've been thinking very hard about this and about where is God's light shining most frequently upon me, and I realized that it's right here in this worship service. And so I'm going to do something that's a little bit crazy, but I would love to have all of you come join me in a selfie, all right? So I'm going to have everybody stand up and just scoot in as tight as you can, and we're going to take a CCOB Summer Lights selfie and post it on Instagram after the service. All right, so we'll see if we can get everybody into here. It should be fun. Oh, yeah, we're going to get it. Let's see here. All right, everyone try to get in there. Smile. Three, two, one. There's one. Let's take another one just for good measure. Three, two, one. Awesome. All right. You guys can look for that one <coughs> on Instagram. And you can either go back to your seats or, or you can join me up here. I promise I will keep my spitting to a minimum. Um, <coughs> another place that I <coughs> brings me a lot of light is our middle school ministry and having the chance to, to spend time with the incredible 10 through 14-year-olds at, at Christ Church here. Uh, we are so blessed to be supported by so many awesome families uh, and that is so evident in the lives and the hearts of our students. And last Friday, we just returned from our week-long middle school camp called Camp Cow. We head up to Baraboo, Wisconsin, and we bring 29 phenomenal staff and 102 students. Here's a picture. That's a good-looking group right there. Uh, and we spent the entire week doing all sorts of incredible activities, worshiping God, and digging into um, an awesome topic with, with speakers that came from these congregations right here that were willing to step up and serve in that way. Uh, I just want to quickly highlight a few things that happen at camp because I think first it will be fun to see what's going on in the lives of our students, but also I believe that it will provide a good platform um, for tonight's topic as we dig into what it means to live in humility. Uh, and so first, as we go to Wisconsin, we are so blessed to be across the street from Devil's Lake, all right? We have a picture of Devil's Lake. Uh, I know it's a... <coughs> probably not named correctly, but uh, it's this beautiful state park, and it's just a few blocks down the street, and our students have so much fun going down to the water uh, and playing in the beach, uh, building sandcastles, doing chicken fights out into the water. Uh, we also have the chance to take kayaks and canoes out there, and surrounding the park are these beautiful trails and cliffs that our students get to go on hikes and also uh, face their fears and do some rock climbing. And so that was a huge highlight for us this year. We had so much fun uh, being just in the water and embracing the nature that God has surrounded us with. Another thing that our students have come to enjoy, and it's terrifying for them at first, is the high ropes course at Expeditions Unlimited. 
<coughs> right here, this is our friend Nathan Kroll, and he is four stories off the ground and leaping off the platform with only this wire hooked to a harness holding him from falling to the ground. Uh, but there are all sorts of challenges, and the kids begin to test their um, faith and their friendships as they um, walk across these obstacles that are four stories up into the air, and then finally end by either ziplining down or launching themselves off in as close as they'll get to bungee jumping before they turn 18. Um, and obviously, with all summer camps, we have our fair share of nasty games. This is one of my favorite ones up here. It's called Capture the Nasty. And yes, that is indeed a squid that he is holding up there. And instead of playing Capture the Flag, we put squid in each bucket, and we do all sorts of fun games and try to whoever can get it across. My personal highlight was seeing my um, seventh grade brother-in-law chase my wife around with that squid uh, as she screamed bloody murder. Uh, don't worry, we didn't eat any squids. We were just kidding there. But um, more than anything, though, I enjoy watching our kids worship and watching them dig into um, our topic for the week. And we were studying this week uh, this idea of unselfie. We now all know what a selfie is, and definitely all of our students know what a selfie is, but unselfie is this idea of turning the camera that God has given us away from our lives and onto others and starting to watch what kind of impact he can have on the world if we do that. Uh, as we went through the week, we began um, recognizing a few of our students that had kind of quietly had some unselfie moments, uh, and we recognized them by allowing them to pie whoever they wanted to on stage, uh, but they didn't know that was going to happen. <clears throat> and I just want to share a couple stories um, of our students embracing humility and trying to make an impact on the world. Uh, we had this one girl, and she was in sixth grade, and she didn't know anybody at camp, and she had come a long way to come join us. Uh, she had heard about it actually through my mother-in-law, and she lives in Minnesota, and she shows up to camp not knowing a soul, uh, and she really begins to start building relationships. And during this time, um, these friendships started building through her free time activities. And she had been a little nervous at the beginning of the week about doing the high ropes course. But I remember she was getting really excited to do it on the final day, during the final free time activity. Uh, and she had built up her courage. She was ready to do it. She had seen some of her friends do it and was ready to get up there <coughs> Excuse me, and take the leap of faith. Um, and so when free time activity sign-up came, she ran up there and she signed up first right on the top of the list for that high ropes course. She was ready to go um, and, and she got ready, went and got her shoes on and all those different types of things. And when she arrived to our free time launch point, she noticed that there was one girl in her cabin that was signed up for a free time activity with no one else. There were no one else in their cabin signed up with her. And we had kind of created a free time activity on the final day for just people that were feeling tired and just wanted to stay around camp and be a little bit more laid back and not do one of these adventures. And this little girl uh, turned to her and said, I don't think anyone should have to do any activity by themselves, and so I'm going to stay with you here while everyone else goes off and does high ropes. How cool is that to, to have been so excited all week to do this high ropes course, to not really have an opportunity to do it anywhere else, but still at the end of the week on the last day, bringing a smile to that girl's face was more important than doing the very thing she wanted to do. We had another story, um, <clears throat> and this is one of our seventh grade boys, and during the week, um, you know, our cabin had been really meshing well, and guys had 
getting to have these great friendships. And um, this little boy comes up to me, and he has pen written all over his arms, okay? And, and he comes to me, and he says, hey, Pete, can I borrow a piece of paper? And I said, it looks like you need one. Uh, what can I give you a piece of paper for? And he said, well, there's one boy in our cabin that's feeling a little bit anxious about going home because he doesn't have friendships like these in his neighborhood or at his school, and he's just not really looking forward to it. So I went around to everyone on our cabin, and I asked them to tell me one thing that they appreciated about this boy, and I've written them all on my arms, but I want to write it down on a piece of paper so that I can give it to him so that when he goes home, he can constantly be reminded of how much we love him. How cool is that? That is just, it was like, it like broke my heart when he told me that story. Uh, and it was just so cool to see our students embrace what it means to be unselfie, to live in humility, and to shed Christ's light on the entire world. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and worship. Lord, this opportunity to talk about your light that has been poured out upon us. Lord, we thank you for the chance to um, pour your light out on others as well. We pray that we would embrace those opportunities and that, Lord, we would look forward uh, to seeing your, your word, your light, and your son spread to this world. Lord, let us never cease to turn our cameras away from ourselves and onto others. And, Lord, let us smile as we begin to see the impact that that can have. In your name, amen. Well, as you guys can probably tell, I am still battling a cold from Camp Cow, uh, so I might cough a few times or have to grab a sip of water. <clears throat> but I want to tell you a, a quick story um, about a trip I took to India with my family when I was in high school. Uh, we traveled over there in my senior year of high school, uh, and we visited a bunch of World Vision projects with my dad. I uh, got to see the work that World Vision was doing in building communities and developing education and water and job opportunities for, um, for women and for small businesses. <clears throat> and it was such a blessing to, to see what God was doing in a world far different than my own. But we also found some time to escape and, and see some of the sights of India, in fact, my family and I got to ride in a fishing skiff out onto the Bengal Sea. Uh, we had a chance to ride in a taxi drawn by a camel. That was exciting. Um, <clears throat> we rode an elephant named Chumpa. But probably the most impactful one is we got to go to the Taj Mahal. Now, as you guys know, the Taj Mahal is one of the seven wonders of the world, but as a 17-year-old boy, I was a little bit skeptical. I wasn't sure if this was going to be all it was cracked up to be. But boy, was I wrong. I walked in, and the second we walked through the gates, my jaw dropped. This picture doesn't do it justice, but this building is magnificent. It is bigger than anything you've ever imagined. It is sparkling. It is spotless. And even amidst the crowds of people, still... It drags your attention straight to it. As I walk down the pathway and the pavers, I began to notice that each, each brick had been placed perfectly to perform a design as you go forward. As you get closer and closer, you notice that it's not just this white marble building, but instead there are subtle gems that are inlaid in mosaics across all of the surfaces. As a 17-year-old boy, I was floored. 
And I look forward to the opportunity to go back, and I had to take a picture so that I could remember what I saw. But of course, like any other 17-year-old boy, I took another picture, and at the risk of embarrassing myself, I'm going to show you that one as well. This is a picture of my little sister and I taking a selfie in front of the Taj Mahal. You'll notice that some of the grandeur of the building is lost in this picture, that you no longer can tell the scope and sequence and the power of this building. Instead, you're distracted by our goofy faces and, <clears throat> and, and silly smiles. And that's what a selfie is. I was taking the environment around me and using it to point attention to myself. You see, the things that were around me are only useful in that they lift me up. I'm sure I had this posted on my Facebook or MySpace and, and hoping to get lots of comments from people thinking I'm some great world traveler. You see, it wasn't enough to see the Taj Mahal. It wasn't enough to save a picture of the Taj Mahal. Instead, I had to place myself in front of it and become the spectacle and distract others from this beauty that's behind me. Now, I'm not here to have a vendetta against selfies. I have nothing wrong with them. In fact, we just took one here on stage, and I think they're a fun way to create memories. <clears throat> but I think this idea of a selfie is indicative of a culture that places ourselves in the center. I think this selfie culture is pervasive throughout all of our communities, and not just in the world. A lot of times we like to push things away and say, this is what the world does, but this is what we do here in the church. This is what I do in my own faith. How many times have we been <coughs> doing chores and, and working around the home, and all we're thinking in our head is, my spouse isn't working nearly as much as I am. This isn't fair. How many times have we been asked to do a favor by a friend and Maybe we verbalized it to them, but we think to ourselves, you have no idea how busy I am. I don't have time to point my camera back at you. Or maybe a little bit more personal um, for myself, I know that there have been numerous times that I've been standing in worship, where I'm worshiping God and I stand there saying, this song isn't for me. This doesn't connect with me. This is too loud, or this is too quiet, or I can't hear the words. And suddenly I've made worship focused on me, and God is somewhere in the background. I've done it in my personal devotions as I've opened scripture and I've read, and I've thought to myself, man, I just can't feel God lately. As if somehow I am the most important part in this relationship, and if I can't feel God, he certainly is not there. But maybe if I turned my lens onto him instead of myself, I would begin to notice him acting in every facet of my life. It is so easy to become self-absorbed and focused in on who we are and use the things, the blessings that God has given us, the opportunities that God has given us, the challenges that God has given us to point others to us, to bring ourselves attention, to bring ourselves glory. We live in a culture of Facebook profile pictures, of statuses and tweets, of resume building, a culture that values a piece of paper more than it values an education. 
Why? Because we're placing ourselves in the center of our reality. <clears throat> and unfortunately for myself and for the rest of us, I don't see room for that in the Gospels. I don't see room for that in the way that Christ Jesus lived. In fact, if we think about it, Jesus had every reason to point attention to himself. I don't know about you, but my resume pales in comparison to Jesus. This is the same man that fed 5,000 people with a few scraps of bread and fish. A man that could turn to a storm and have it cease with just an utterance of one phrase. A man that instead of going by boat, walked across a lake. That turned water into wine. That healed lepers with a simple touch. And who with just his voice called a man back to life. Jesus had every right to put that camera squarely on himself. But he didn't. We can look at Philippians <coughs> chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, to really get a picture of why he didn't. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. <coughs> And died a criminal's death on a cross. This verse says that Jesus, it's not that he didn't consider himself God. It's not that he didn't recognize that he was indeed God living here on earth. But instead he recognized that the glory, the honor, the attention that could be paid to him because of his deity was not worth it. It paled in comparison to the glory and honor that he could pour out towards God when he began to turn that camera and face it towards us, to give the world an opportunity to shine light into heaven and to shine light across the rest of the earth. And he took that so seriously that he was willing to die a criminal's death on a cross, a death that caused his, even his closest friends to think that he was a fraud. A death that was met by mocking jeers from the Pharisees and the guards. But he didn't think that the honor, the glory, the attention of being God was worth it. And so he laid down his life so that we might be the center focus of that lens. What's even more startling is that he expects us to do the same thing. And in Philippians 2, 5, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. <clears throat> that is the preface of this verse that says that Jesus, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It is that we too must now be living a life of humility. A life that places uh, glory of God above our own. A life that does not believe that glory and attention and honor here on earth is something to cling to, but instead is something to offer out freely to others. 
Well, you're probably sitting there like I am and thinking, humility is a lot easier said than done. <coughs> but I'm going to take a stab at it from some of the passages I've been reading this week. Is what would humility really look like for us as individuals? And then what would the impact of us as a community living in humility have on this world? And I think we can break it down in three steps. The first step is to recognize the talents, the gifts, and passions that you carry with you. We have all been greatly blessed. We are all talented. Humility is not about pretending that we don't have talent, pretending that we don't have skill, pretending that we don't have passion. Humility is not about telling others that we're not really good telling others that we can't do it. Humility is recognizing that God has indeed given us talent and skills and ability. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he didn't deny that he was Jesus. He didn't deny that he was God. He knew that he was God. And because of that, it gave him a platform to live a life of humility that would forever impact those around him. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians 12, um, it's a beautiful passage that Paul offers us about what it means for us as a body of believers to live in humility and to support each other through that. In verse 14, it says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? You see, Paul recognizes the value of understanding the part we play. Understanding that we've been gifted for a reason. And being willing to be confident in that understanding. A few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I asked Stephanie over here to join us at worship at Camp Cow. And I'm so thankful she said yes. But she had every opportunity to say, middle school worship, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm equipped to do that. You might be able to find someone better. I, I, I don't feel confident in, in singing for a whole week. I might lose my throat, my voice, or something like that. But no, she recognized that God has given her an obvious blessing, an obvious talent. And she used it to begin pointing honor back to those kids and also to God. We see it throughout Scripture. Joseph, the, youngest, or the second youngest of 12 brothers, picked on, bullied, abused, sold into slavery. <laughs> After being in slavery, thrown into prison, and rotting there for a majority of his life, recognizes the talent he has, uses it, and God gives him an opportunity to be the second-hand man in all of Egypt. How easy would it be for him to say, I can't do that. That's beyond what I can do. You're looking for somebody else. But instead, he embraces it. And he says, this is a blessing that God has given me, and I'm going to use it to the fullest. Or we look at the little boy <coughs> that brought Jesus the fish and the loaves. Jesus looks out over the crowd and he says, does anyone have something to eat? We need to feed all 5,000 here. 
Surely others had food. But this boy was the only one confident in what he had, confident enough in what he had to bring it forward in front of thousands of people and hand it to Jesus. And I am sure that the people in the front were laughing at him, laughing at the audacity to bring five loaves and two fish. But what happened? Jesus took that and he used it. Or David. David, the youngest of his brothers, is at home tending to the sheep as his brothers are off fighting a battle against the Philistines. And his father says, David, we haven't heard much from your brothers. They haven't been texting us or calling us. And I need you to go down there and deliver them some food and check in and see how they're doing. (coughs) And David gets there and surely he is met by a scene he didn't expect. The Philistines are standing over there and the Israelites are sitting over here and no battle is happening. And he says, well, what's the problem? And his brothers say, well, the Philistines, you know, they don't want to shed pointless blood. And so they've, they've set, set up that they will send their strongest warrior if we send our strongest warrior and they'll fight. And I'm sure David's wondering, okay, so who are we sending out there? And they say, you have no idea. Their strongest warrior is a giant. He's over nine feet tall. His name is Goliath. He has great power, great strength great prestige. And David sizes him up and says, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, send me out there. Little boy is going to go out and fight the greatest warrior on the earth. And so eventually they give in and they send him out there and with one quick shot from his sling, he slays Goliath and brings the Israelites glory. It wasn't because he pretended that he didn't have talent. It wasn't because he doubted who he was. It was because he recognized that God had gifted him for this moment. That's the platform of humility, is recognizing that God has given us gifts. God has poured out blessings on us, and it is so obvious to the rest of the world. But sometimes we refuse to notice. We refuse to recognize that. And we shy away from opportunities to bring light in this world. (coughs) Jesus is um, talking to a group in Luke of Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, if you're not familiar with them, they are the highest ranking officials in all of Israel. They've recognized their talent. They know that they are gifted. They are at the very highest social rung in the ladder. And people are heaping praise on them constantly. And they invite Jesus over for dinner because they want to kind of size him up to see how big of a threat is this guy to us? How well does he know his theology? How well does he know his law? And Jesus gets to the dinner and I, I imagine him kind of sizing up the crowd. And he notices that the Pharisees are battling for a position at the table. They're each kind of jockeying, looking at each other, kind of surveying each other's resumes and trying to find out who's the most important here. Because in Hebrew culture, you would be placed at the table by accordance of what you had done, by accordance of the respect you had earned. And so those that were most honored would be placed at the head of the table and those with the least honor placed at the base. 
And so Jesus begins to see them jockeying for position, trying to place themselves in a position of authority. And he says, (coughs) instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I imagine as Jesus is saying this, he is recognizing the opportunity that each of us has to place ourselves beneath others in order that we might lift them up. And not again so that we can receive false honor here on earth, but instead so that when we go to heaven, the great host of the feast will come to us and say, thank you for using your gifts for using your talents, for using your passions to bring glory and honor to others and to your Lord. He recognizes that it is not enough for us to understand that we're talented, that we've been blessed, that we've been gifted, but we also need to use those talents, those blessings, those gifts to begin pointing others towards God and lifting them up be shining that light of glory that we could have on ourselves, that camera lens that could be pointed to us, and using it as an opportunity to point out towards others. Last year, my wife and I, we went on a little trip to Nashville. And if anyone has been in Nashville, they know that to really embrace the Nashville culture, you kind of need some sunshine weather. You know, Broadway is exciting, there are lights, there's country music blaring everywhere. We didn't have that. It was pouring rain. It was like a monsoon. And we were trapped inside wishing we could go outside and <coughs> peering out the windows and, and just kind of bemoaning ourselves for not having the weather we wanted. Finally, we decided to brave the storm and we went out there. Of course, we didn't have any rain gear or anything like that. So we're holding, you know, newspapers and and magazines above our heads. And we went to a little lounge called the Listening Room. The Listening Room is right there located on the water. And it's this really cool restaurant that has uh, this brick facade and a a really nice laid-back stage. And we sat there and we enjoyed a great meal and listened to kind of the music in the background. After we finished eating, we decided to sit and stay a while and listen to the concert that was going on. And there were four stools up on the stage, and um, singers were sitting just with their guitars, and they were trading off opportunities to sing their original hits. And they're singing and they're playing these songs, and, and I am not a country fan. I don't know a whole lot about country. For all I know, every single song sounds the exact same. But my wife loves country music, and she can recognize every single song you'd hear on the radio. And we're sitting there, and, and they keep telling us, all right, I'm going to play a song that I wrote a few years back. I hope you'll like it. And they play this song, and, you know, I'm eating my fried pickles, not paying attention. And Brittany leans over to me and says, I don't think these are their songs. And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, well, I'm pretty sure that was a Faith Hill song that they just played. And then I'm pretty sure they're playing a Tim McGraw song right now. And that's not Tim McGraw and that's not Faith Hill. And so I obviously quickly pulled out my iPhone and (coughs) looked up the song titles and I realized that these were ghostwriters. 
If you're unfamiliar with a ghostwriter, a ghostwriter is someone that writes music and then sells it to others that share it with the world. Sells it with others that have a, maybe a more prestigious career, an opportunity to spread it out to more people. And so these people had written these songs and sold them to Tim McGraw, and they had become hugely popular and something that we could easily recognize. They had used their talents and partnered them with others so that they could bring this music to the world. And I feel like that's kind of a picture of what God's doing with us. He's asking us to be his ghostwriters. To say, I've given you huge talent. I've given you abilities. And you're trying to make it on like a solo career, but you don't have all the talents that you need to do that. You're trying to take your talents and point them back to you and try to bring attention. But I promise if you partner with me and you point that light back towards others, you'll begin lifting them up, and in turn, you will glorify me. If you're my ghostwriter, you can bring so much more light to the world. But how often are we unwilling to make that sacrifice? Are we unwilling to sit in the back and be unknown for the blessings that we've been given, unknown for the talents that we've been given? It's a huge challenge for me. The first two steps of humility, recognizing who we've been gifted to be, recognizing the part and the role that we have been given by God. And second, using that part and that role to lift others up, to bring others' attention, to bring others' glory, and then beginning to see how that impacts the world in a powerful, positive way. We're going to go back to that 1 Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians 12, um, because Paul continues to talk about how does this body of believers work? If we're all different parts, how does that truly begin to function in a way that we can point the light back towards God? In 1 Corinthians um, 12, 18 through 21 says this, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. There are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, Paul says, if the body of believers is going to work, then the body of believers needs to work in harmony with each other. I don't know about you, but this is the hardest part of humility for me. And it's recognizing that those around you are also talented and gifted, and they can play a role in this body as well. I like to believe that I am the hand, the feet, the head, the heart, that I've got a little bit of everything. And that if I just try hard enough, I can do it on my own. If I just try hard enough, I can point tons of glory back to God. I can even do it in a way that supports other people. But I realized how wrong I was in December this year. My wife and I were out ice skating, and as many of you know, I caught my foot in a hole, and I severely broke my leg. And I had to get 
uh, pins and plates and all sorts of things to repair it. And I was heartbroken when the doctor looked at me and said, uh, you're not going to walk or drive for three months. And then once you can start walking, it'll be in a boot with one crutch. And my heart sank because I couldn't do what I needed to do. And I honestly felt despair because I was like, how can, how can the cow ministry keep going? I'm not going to be able to be the guy that I normally am. I'm not going to be able to shoulder the load. I simply can't do it. I can't even drive to work in the morning, let alone support a group with 100 students and run around and play crazy games. How am I going to do all our chores around the house? Who is going to um, shovel the snow? Who's going to help clean up? And I became so nervous that I had lost my ability to be who I was. <coughs> and in a matter of moments, I began receiving phone calls from others in my life that were willing to shoulder that load with me, that actually were excited to have the opportunity to use their skills, their passions and talents to support me and to support our ministry and to point light back to God. I had people that shouldered the load for camp and did entire stage backgrounds for us and built them and cut them out of wood and put them together. I had leaders that said, hey, I'll, I'll take the games. I'll run the games. People that said, I can, I can lead a few talks here and there. I can plug in when you're feeling tired. I can take kids out for lunch occasionally. I'll make sure that at camp everyone's where they need to be, when they need to be there. <clears throat> and I realized that it was in breaking my leg that this ministry finally had the chance to grow and expand because it wasn't just functioning with one hand anymore. It wasn't just functioning with the heart or the foot or whatever it may be. Instead, it was incorporating all these parts of the body. And then personally, I started having neighbors, this guy right over here, Jackson Bodie, came over and shoveled my snow out of my driveway. And if you guys were around this winter, you realized that it was a pretty snowy winter. That was no small task. And I sat there helpless on the couch, wishing I could be out there. My coworkers came and picked me up and drove me to work. My wife shouldered all of the burden at home and made great sacrifices. And the entire time, I was incredibly uncomfortable with everything that was happening. But I'm sure if you asked any of those people in my life, they would tell you wholeheartedly that they cherished the opportunity to use their gifts to serve God, to serve our ministry, and to support me. It is so hard to recognize that we can't do it all. It is so hard to recognize that our talent set is only but one part of this body. But if we can't do that, then we can't truly embrace humility. And if we can't truly embrace humility, then we can't act like Philippians 2.5 says, in the same way as Christ Jesus. And if we're not acting as Christ, we're not spreading his light to all the edges of the earth. You see, 
The goal of humility is to work in collaboration with others, other people in our body of believers in order to begin pointing light upon the entire world and glorifying God fully. If we don't embrace humility, then we don't embrace that God deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the attention. So where do we go from here? What are our steps this week? The first step is embrace your gifts and talents. <coughs> I'm sure there are a few of us sitting here right now that say, I, I don't honestly know what my gifts and talents are. I know that I've got some. I know that I've been blessed, but I can't pinpoint them. And I encourage you to turn to somebody next to you, to turn to somebody close to you in your life that spends a lot of time with you, and just ask them in humility, what am I gifted and talented in? Not so that I can pat myself on the back, but so that I can use that to begin supporting others. And I guarantee each of you will have somebody speak an incredible truth into your life that will allow you to lay that foundation of humility. First step is embracing your gifts and talents. The second step is to find a way each day to use them to glorify God and others, not yourselves. It is so easy once we've figured out our talents to then use that to point that camera back at us. But we need to find a way each day to use them to glorify God. I tell our middle schoolers, um, every single day, every single conversation you have, be thinking in the back of your mind, how can I make this person's day better? That's an easy way to think about it. How can you make the lives of others better around you every time you encounter them? How can you use your gifts, your light, to lift others up, and then because of that, see God be lifted up as well. And our final step is to allow others the ability to do the same. When your spouse wants to help you do the chores around the house, <coughs> help you out in the yard, or help you with the dishes, or help you make a meal, instead of pushing them away and saying, I have this, I'll do it, it'll be easier by myself, give them the chance. Let them do it. When someone at, the, at your work says, hey, I want to collaborate with you. I want to figure out a way um, to make this project better. Give them that opportunity. Maybe it's in a Bible study setting and it's uh, somebody that wants to, to lead a week. And that makes you nervous and you'd rather just do it yourselves. Find ways to allow others to support you, to lift you up, and in doing so, glorify God. I think if we can begin to do that as a community will impact the world. If we do it by ourselves, that would be awesome. And we'll bring light to people right around us. But if we do as a community, we can work together to shine his light brightly throughout Oak Brook and Hinsdale and Western Springs and LaGrange and Downers Grove and Elmhurst. And we will begin to be a beacon of God's light here in the Chicagoland area. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have gifted us. Lord, that each and every one of us is supremely talented and greatly blessed. Lord, we pray that you would help us fight the temptation to use those blessings and those talents to glorify ourselves. And we pray that we would be your ghostwriters here on earth, using those talents, using those blessings 
to support others and to shine your light brightly. And Lord, we pray that in humility, we will begin to allow others to do the same for us. So that, Lord, when the people around us look on this community here at Christ Church of Oak Brook, they recognize a lifestyle that is contagiously about your love and about your light. We pray this in your name. Amen.